0: 1 Peter 3, um, 8-22. And that's on page 1219 in the Bibles. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For... Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your heart revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through through water and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels authorities and powers in submission to him
1: so good evening everyone it's great to be here this evening And it's really good to be contributing to this series that we've had um, over the last few weeks, looking at this letter of one Peter. So for those of you that have been following the series, you'll know that this is a letter that's been written by the apostle Peter. And it's um, been designed to be read by lots of people and to be passed round from church to church in Asia Minor, which is part of uh, modern day Turkey today. And over the last few weeks, we've been learning several things through this letter. We've been thinking about our salvation and what that's like. We've been thinking about how, it, how we can live as holy people. And then also something around what it means to be chosen and some practical ways of living as citizens in our society. And then last week, we were thinking about what that might mean for us in marriage relationships as well. So here we are. We've arrived at 1 Peter 3, um, 8 to 22. And you might want to keep your Bible open if you've got it there, because we're going to follow some of the verses as we work through this section of the text, the letter, tonight. Now, this letter um, itself is really challenging, isn't it? It's got some really deep things, some challenging things to talk to us about living But tonight we're going to look at something quite specific, and we've already started to touch on it in our worship. We're going to be thinking about what it means to survive in a surrounding culture as a believer that maybe is quite threatening towards us, even there to do us harm. So I wonder about this as you think about this for your own life, whether this is starting to make any connections. How about your frontline situations? I don't know where you find yourself uh, Monday to Saturday, maybe at work or within your family or social situation. What happens when you start to speak up for your beliefs? What about if you decline to do something because you know that is the right thing to do? Maybe not all will go well for you. If you choose to do that, you could be ridiculed, you could be laughed at, you might be ignored, maybe. For some people, it might mean losing a job or a relationship. And in some countries, we've already been thinking about that this evening, it can mean imprisonment, it can mean having your children taken away from you, and it can even mean losing your life. Because being a follower of Jesus, at times, can be risky. It can put you at a disadvantage, and it can be costly. So, how do we live in those sorts of situations? How do we react when we face these types of situations? And how do we sustain our faith and keep going in the race? So, Peter, throughout this letter, has already started to touch on this theme. But this passage tonight is going to take us right down deep into it to think about it in a bit more depth. It's going to give us some helpful practical advice because Peter's really good on practical advice. But it's also going to give us some real clear theological teaching about what it means to suffer for being a believer how should we live under pressure? It's a situation that's uncomfortable. It's potentially destructive. And if we really are honest, it's probably something we don't want and we want to run away from. So let's see what Peter has to say to us tonight about this subject. The first thing he talks about is this idea of getting our own lives in order. And you can see that in verse 8. Before we start to engage with the world outside there, there's this challenge to get our own lives in order and our own relationships in our church family to get those sorted first. And this is instruction for all of us. So it's good to pay heed to what Peter's got to say. For many of us, it's within the safety of our own families that we work out our values and our behaviours. It's a safe place that we can practise things, maybe sometimes make mistakes and learn. But that learning can give us confidence as we practise. It can give us experience that we can then use as we go out into the wider world, as we interact with people that we don't know. And this is the same with our church family. It should be an environment that's supportive and caring. It's the place that we can get ourselves sorted out, a place that we can grow and develop, and we've been thinking about that as a church family over the last few months. It's also a place where we can learn to live as followers, even during the tough times. And this teaching is really important for us. If we want to be people that are people of integrity, where our behaviours match what we believe in, in all situations, those 24-7 believers that we're challenged to be, then we need to be able to work out how to do this. This is not just about an impact on our Sunday life, but also in our whole lives. So, what's Peter going to tell us about this? Well, he gives us five virtues. Five ways that we can behave, and all of them, not surprisingly, are relational. And this is what he says. He says we need to be like-minded, be sympathetic, we need to love one another, we need to be compassionate, and we need to be humble. We need to be like-minded, we need to be sympathetic, we need to love one another, we need to be compassionate, and we need to be humble. Those are really powerful values, aren't they, when you start to think about them, that a whole community, a community of believers, can live by. I think they're also really vital behaviours that we need if we're in a community that's under pressure, that's under stress. That's when protection and care and looking after one another become even more important, even more vital for our survival. So Peter's giving us some really helpful practical advice. And when I was thinking about this, I I thought of the image of um, a flock of starlings. I don't know, I live quite near the um, station. I don't know if anyone else does, but sometimes at certain parts of the year, you get these amazing um, flocks of starlings that do this incredible dance. It's really beautiful to watch. But one of the things they're doing there is protecting and looking after themselves as a whole group. They learn to move together at this really uh, dangerous part of the evening before they go to roost. Coming together and learning how to work together and to care and protect one another is something that brings them safety. And um, it made me just think about this passage now when we think about some of these values and why Peter is talking about them. They're there for our good and for our benefit. The other thing that's quite interesting for me, over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been doing some training at work. Many of you know that I work in the NHS, um, as well as doing some training for ministry. And what's really fascinating at the moment, and some of you might have it in some of your own work situations, there's lots of um, thinking and lots of teaching about values. It seems a really basic thing. But secular organisations are beginning to understand how important they are to the life of organizations. Values impact on the way that we serve uh, one another, how we work in teams, and how we achieve common goals. And secular organizations are beginning to realize that if we don't have values at the center of what we do, organizations can become self-seeking, they can become corrupt and neglectful, even uncaring. And the interesting thing is the values that they're talking about in a lot of these training sessions are exactly the ones that we're talking about tonight. Compassion, sympathy or empathy, working in agreement and with shared goals, genuine care and value for colleagues, and in my case, for patients. If our secular organisations aspire to these values, how much more should we see them within the church? So that's a little bit about getting our own lives, our own house in order, before we start to think about dealing with pressures from the outside. But then Peter takes us on to this this very next thing, about our behaviours outside, um, in the 24-7 lives that we live. And particularly thinking about what that might be if those environments are hostile. And this is Peter's response. He tells us that we need to be christ-like to all it's biblical and it's christ-centered in verse 9 he says don't retaliate don't repay evil with evil and then he goes on to say more than that it's intentionally about going out of your way to bring blessing to those that actually seek to do you harm it's about pursuing peace I wonder if you recognize any of these words, where you might have come across them before. How about this? You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are the words of Jesus. And in this case, they've come out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5. Peter's listened, hasn't he? And he's learned well from Jesus. And it's as if Jesus' presence and his values, they permeate all these parts of the letter. Jesus is the author. He's the inspiration for Peter, for all that he writes. And Peter, Jesus, great thing. He points the readers right back to those key values of Jesus. And then in verse 10, he takes us into this lovely psalm to explain why we're called to live this way of life as believers. Peter says that this is a way of blessing, not just for others, but in a strange way for ourselves. And we're called to behave like this because that is how our Heavenly Father, our God, is like. He is a God who is good. He is a God who brings blessings. This is God's way of being. And we've sung about that tonight. Because God notices. And ultimately, we can trust him to respond in justice. And that's really important when we have to face these difficult, pressurised situations. They're really challenging, aren't they? It's a really challenging way to live. I don't know about your frontline situations, but what if someone complains to you? Or is kind of making your life difficult? I don't know if anyone's facing that situation at the moment. You might have people that are actually disrespectful of your beliefs. And then there's those situations when you're working, when you're just under so much pressure. I'm sure some of you can relate to this. There's just too much work, there's just not enough time, and there's just too many demands on you. What happens when it starts to go wrong? How do you react? Do you have a strong desire to say something back to people? Do you want to talk them down? Do you want to be sarcastic? Maybe you just ignore them. Or you talk about them behind their backs. I've seen that happen a lot in work environments. It can be really destructive, can't it? It's not so easy to do what this psalm suggests, to keep our tongues from deceitful speech and to stop our tongues from evil. But sometimes the opposite can be true. Another way to react in these situations is to retreat and to become passive, to just become a bystander. And interestingly, when I did the values training a couple of weeks ago, one of the things they talked about was the bystander effect, how easy it is just to stand back and just not to do anything. And I found that particularly challenging. But Peter is telling us that in these situations, we're called to respond with blessing, with sympathy, with love, with compassion, with humility. This way of living is hard, I think, because it means that we have to intentionally decide that we're going to be people of peace and respond in peace. And it can be costly. There's also an element of us needing to trust in God and giving it over to him, believing that ultimately living these values out that are part of Jesus and who Jesus is, as we stand up to evil with goodness that it will lead to victory. That's an amazing hope, isn't it? That that will happen. And this is what Peter is doing here. He's challenging the readers of his letter to become shapers of culture within their church family, but much wider than that, out in the culture that the church um, finds itself in, out in the wider world. Some of you might have um, uh, read this book possibly. There's a guy called Mark Green, um, and he's talked about this idea of being cultural shapers. And this is what he says. He says, it starts with a total commitment to a loving God, putting God at the centre of all that we are, God's character and who he is, a God who is a God of love and a God of blessing. And then the second stage of this is also having a total commitment to loving people created in God's image whoever they are, those that get on with us and also those that make it very difficult for us. And this is a commitment to seeking their best, seeking their blessing, seeking their flourishing. It's about bringing God's peace, God's shalom into our frontline situations, even, even when we are opposed. A few weeks ago, when I was preparing for tonight, um, I took part in um, the Thy Kingdom Come uh, prayer movement. I don't know if any of you got involved in this during Pentecost. Um, It was a great resource during the lead up to Pentecost, praying with Christians from lots of denominations across the world. And one day, there was a really powerful story about forgiveness, and I just wanted to share this with you because it had so many of the characteristics in it that that Peter is talking about in this letter. Let me introduce you to this Christian couple. They're called Ray and Via Donovan, and they shared their story of how a few years ago now, their 18-year-old son, Chris, was out one night, walking down the road, and he happened to walk through a gang of young people who attacked him and who murdered him. The pain that they expressed about this experience, it was heart rendering, it was so hard for them. Um, It was hard to hear the story that they were talking about and they talked about how hard this time had been for them and um, the challenge of going to the court and facing these young people that had done this terrible thing. But several years passed and it was time for the date of the release of, of these young men, as they were at that point. And um, this couple, Ray and Vi, they knew that God was calling them to offer forgiveness. And so the day that the uh, young men came out, they went to the prison and they met them. They knew that they had to respond in goodness to something that had been evil. It wasn't easy. They talked about how they struggled with it. But that's exactly what they did. They met these young men and um, they offered them forgiveness, and then they did an amazing thing. They gave them a blessing over the rest of their lives. It was incredibly, incredibly moving to hear them talking about it. And Vi particularly describes how it was like putting the poison cup of unforgiveness down and then being free to live their lives, just as their son Chris would have wanted them to do. You see, as a couple, despite their suffering, they lived out this call that Peter is talking about here in the letter. They responded to evil with forgiveness. They responded in blessing, and they sought peace. And their testimony was deeply moving. And this unusual experience, I guess, fortunately, um, not many of us here are going to have to go through that, but Peter is really sensible here in this letter, isn't he? He points out in verse 14 that suffering does come, it can be an experience of believers. And in verse 17, he says this really challenging thing. He even suggests that at times, suffering for being good is within God's will. And that's because doing good is foremost what God calls us to do, because our God is good. And sometimes that will invite suffering as we do that. And as we learnt from Ray and Vi's story about being a Christian, it doesn't preclude us from these difficult situations. And some of you here will be facing your own challenges and your own pressures for being a believer in the different parts that your life takes you into. This is a reality for us, isn't it? And we know from church history, and we know from our Christian brothers and sisters that we've looked at this, this evening that this is a faith reality for us. So, in the light of this, what does Peter actually tell his readers? What does he give some practical and pragmatic advice? And this is what he says, he says, first of all, don't be afraid in verse 14. He then tells them to keep Jesus at the center, that Jesus focus that we talked about earlier in verse 15. And then he says this amazing thing, this real proactive thing, He says, always be prepared to give an answer of hope to those who ask you. Always, always, you notice that word, be prepared to give an answer of hope to those who ask you. And he gives us advice about how to do that. He tells us to do that with gentleness and with respect. This is, quite, this is another challenge, isn't it? I looked at this, I thought, oh, wow. Okay, this is a real challenge for my own life, particularly in my work context. Um, I don't know about you, but that's where I get probably my most, most pressures around my faith. Um, so how do I go about being prepared? So I had a little bit of think about that because um, the trouble is each situation is really different, isn't it? The context you're in, the people that you're speaking to, And the questions themselves can all be so different. So how how can you prepare yourself? So just a few thoughts for you, just to think through. Um, Calvin's already talked about this. We can pray, can't we? We can pray for the situations that we go into. And I've started to do this now as a discipline, and it's totally revolutionized my sharing of faith at work, I have to say. I've been doing this for the last probably six months. We started this in Wellspring, the group that I'm involved with uh, during the week here. And I pray now regularly for five um, key colleagues and friends um, at work. And I do that as I drive into work. And what I've been trying to do is, um, as well as pray for them and pray about their situations, I've also started to pray in anticipation, expecting God that day to give me some opportunities to talk about my faith. And the amazing thing is, He does. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, it's a slightly risky prayer to pray, but it also involves me looking out for those opportunities. So I kind of go into work and I think, right, God's going to give me this, this opportunity today. I'm going to have some conversations with people, but I need to look for them. And so I've been doing that, and I've had some incredible conversations with people about huge, a huge range of things, life, death, um, family life, People are fascinated by the training that I'm going through at the moment. They want to know about it. And it's just been great to try and put some of this into practice. If we're going to talk to people, we need to be connected into Jesus, Peter's uh, telling us about keeping Jesus at the front because of our lives. Because otherwise, we can't talk from reality. We can't talk from experience. And uh, we also need to maybe think about what we're going to say. And we can prepare for this. Ian talked a little bit about this this morning, in, in the sermon this morning. So do have a listen to that if you're particularly interested um, in getting a bit more resources around this. But we can, you can spend some time just thinking about, very simply, how you just tell your faith story. And that's something I've had a go at. Thinking about the words you might use, not using jargon, for instance, but talking about what Jesus has really done for each one of us and then the difference that it's made in your life. As you have a go, I think it probably gets easier to open your mouth. Um, And there's also something about not second-guessing what people are going to say. Just being sensitive and listening into them with gentleness and respect, um, as Peter's talking about. And what a wonderful privilege we have, don't we, to share the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives, to introduce others to Jesus, who Peter describes here as the one who did good, who pursued peace, even though he experienced suffering and death. In doing so, he dealt with our sin and our messy lives, and he's able to bring us back to God. That's a really good thing, isn't it, to have a conversation with someone about. And this is what Peter says. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And that's basically what we're doing. We're introducing our friends and our colleagues, our family, to Jesus. One of the things that struck me when I was looking at this passage was that this is actually the Apostle Peter speaking and when you think about his story, it's quite a miracle, isn't it? Peter, who at one point in his life, under pressure, alone in a hostile environment, instead of giving an answer of hope to a young servant girl, instead denied that he knew Jesus. But it's this Peter who met the risen Lord Jesus, who was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It transformed him And here, he's giving advice that he's actually living out in his own life. And we can see that in Acts, when we look at the the stories in Acts. He did this many times, and he also faced persecution as he shared this good news. So Peter finishes off this block of the letter by giving us two examples, and we're just going to finish now by just looking at those. And he gives them as examples for his writers just to have a think about to um, just back up some of the things that he said. And this is the first one. He talks about Jesus himself, his suffering and his victory over death, what Jesus achieved for us, and also those that were spiritually imprisoned, or as Peter calls them, the imprisoned spirits from the time of Noah. At this point, you might be starting to scratch your head a little bit about this particular verse. And probably, um, I think I might have the claim to fame to I've got one of the more difficult verses in Peter to actually talk about. Um, when I was looking at some of the commentaries, one of the commentators said that a lot of commentators, when they read, there's no doubt, they shake their heads in despair. So we've got some good company with us tonight. And there's no doubt that this verse is a difficult one to understand. So you might be glad that I'm not gonna give you a definitive answer. Tonight, but I'm just going to give you three ideas that scholars over the years have talked about with this verse 19 to 20. The first idea is, is that um, some would believe that this refers to Jesus descending into hell after his death to preach to those who died before the Exodus flood. So that's one idea that this, what this might mean. Others um, would suggest that Peter here is trying to point us to glimpses or echoes that we get in the Old Testament of God's saving work that is fully expressed in Jesus, that's fully fulfilled in Jesus. And both those ideas give us this kind of timeless nature of the gospel, this good news that impacted on people in the past, in the present, and those to come. And then the final idea um, is the idea that, that Peter was talking about Jesus' victory over death, and over fallen angels in the spiritual realms. Just reminding his readers that we are in a spiritual battle as well as a physical battle. So the choice is yours. You can choose which explanation you would like. But I guess one of the things we just need to be careful when we tackle these these tricky verses is sometimes we can get so focused on the difficult verse that we kind of lose the reason why the writer has put them there, the point of them. And what Peter is trying to tell us here is this truth, that Jesus was victorious. After suffering under the hands of evil people, he was made alive. He overthrew the work of evil, and he now sits at the right hand of of the Father. Peter's giving us this wonderful picture of our risen Lord Jesus, and it reminds us of this hope, that we have, that we can talk about, that even in suffering, we can experience victory. And that's an amazing hope that we have. And then this final picture that Peter gives us is this amazing picture of baptism. He uses the story of Noah to show the readers of how God saved Noah's family from the flood through the building of an ark. This idea that humankind, even though it received judgment through the flood, was also saved in the ark, through the water, and it was a new beginning, a new start. And this is exactly the symbolism that the gift of baptism gives to us. As we're motivated by this personal response that we've talked about, this, this understanding, this belief in Jesus, as we get right with God and we come into God's presence, then it provides us with a really public and symbolic picture of dying to our old life and then being washed clean by the water and rising up into our new resurrection life that we have. Every time we see someone baptised, this is exactly what we're seeing. It points us to the hope that Peter's trying to tell us about, that no, even suffering can take away from us this incredible gift from God that we can know forgiveness of sin, that we can be washed clean and that we can have a fresh start and that we receive eternal life through Jesus, his death and resurrection. So I couldn't miss this opportunity and to encourage those of you here, maybe that's not, that haven't been baptised, to think about this amazing celebration, this, this public showing, demonstrating to others that you are this person of hope that Peter is talking about in this letter and uh, we're quite fortunate because next Sunday on the 23rd in the morning service we've actually got there's an opportunity to talk about to talk about baptism Ellen's going to be leading a group of us upstairs during the service and we're going to talk about this this very thing of baptism and it's opportunities to ask questions and find out a bit more about it so if this intrigues you or you want to know more do come and join us um, next Sunday when we do that in the morning but let's just bring this to a conclusion Peter in his letter here was reminding us to get our own lives in order by building relationships with one another that are characterised by Jesus' values. We then need to be people of integrity who live this out on our front lines, particularly when we're under pressure or suffering because of our faith. It isn't an easy way to live, but our righteous God sees all things and ultimately he will respond injustice this is the way of christ that we are called to he modeled this for us in his victory over death and his resurrection reminds us that we are people of hope who know what it is to be given forgiven and who have a new life in jesus hallelujah hallelujah hallelujah